Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. I thank you for taking a little bit of time this week to hear our thoughts on the market and the economy, where things may be going over the next week. Before we jump off, I'll do what I do every week and just remind you that what you're about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice, but should instead be something that's just informational and can be taken to your financial advisor if you have any thoughts about how it might relate to your personal portfolio. All right, so let's dig in. Let's just be blunt. It's, you know, it was another bad week in the market. Market was down, I don't know, 2, 2.3% this week. It's been a rough run all year, no question. In fact, last week we set a new all-time record. I'm really excited about that one in that this was the first time we've started the year with three consecutive negative quarters. We've talked for a long time on this podcast about the why, and I hate to say this, but not much is going to change until we can find a solution to breaking out of that inflation, interest rate, recession cycle that we've been talking about for a bit. And the next potential break on that really doesn't come until we get the September inflation data, which will come out on Thursday, October 13th. So until then, bluntly expect some volatility. There's good volatility and there's bad volatility, but I would anticipate we're probably going to have a little bit of both. While we wait for that and wait and wait and wait, we wanted to take some time this week instead to look outside of the U.S.'s borders, to look around the world, because we spend a ton of time on this podcast talking about U.S. policy, both fiscal and monetary, talking about the economic condition. All of those things are important. They really are, but it's important to remember a couple of facts. The first is that while we here in the United States have unquestionably the largest economy, our current GDP, our expected GDP for 2022, will only make up about 23.95% of the entire world economy. That is a, a very big amount for one country to have. I think the next closest is China at roughly 19%, but that means there is nearly three quarters of the world that is not beholden to the United States economy. And second of all, when you look at the S&P 500, nearly 29% of the earnings in the S&P 500, so those are U.S. companies, 29% of their earnings are the result of foreign earnings. So what is happening elsewhere in the world really matters. As much as some, and this has become a new, you know, a big thing in the last few years, as much as some would really like to isolate the United States, we can't. The rest of the world are our customers, and how they fare will massively impact our financial health as well. So let's talk about the world. If I were to turn on any news station today, it would be pretty easy to see a world in pretty massive disorder. There is a tendency to think negatively about world affairs as they happen. If you pick up a newspaper or turn on cable news today, you're going to be bombarded with articles or stories about Putin threatening to use nukes or China threatening to invade Taiwan. We could spend all day just breaking down all of the global political concerns and the potential conflicts around the world. So when the Russia-Ukraine thing started back in November, I was asked by a potential customer. He said, what is your investment strategy if Putin decides to nuke the United States? Uh, you know, that's a tough one. Why? Because honestly, there isn't a strategy. Why? Because if Putin nukes the United States, I don't think your investment portfolio is going to matter much. Global thermonuclear war is the end game for publicly traded markets and frankly, probably the end game for most of us living in populated areas. But more than being an unplannable event, 
it's also massively unlikely. In fact, armed conflict throughout the world is at one of the lowest points that we have seen in a very, very, very long time. Right now, when you look at great powers conflicts, that's when any of the big boys on the block are fighting. They're going back to 1500. There have only been three times in history where there has been no conflict between great powers in a certain decade. Those three times were in the mid-1800s, the late 1800s, and from the 1990s until today. Those are the only three times in the last 422 years where we have not had conflict between any of the great powers. The technology that has brought countries closer in trade and immigration has also limited the amount of conflict that the world sees. But does that mean the worst can't happen? No, it does not. It's going to happen again. The big boys are going to get in the ring again. But it also means that having our antenna constantly set on fear is not the rational choice. Because while there have only been three times where there's been zero conflicts between the great powers, what we see is that really from the early 1600s till today, there has been a constant ratcheting down of those conflicts between great powers. It's gotten better every single century. So is no conflict what we should set our radar to? Probably not, but much less conflict than we have seen in a long time. In fact, the 20th century, which saw World War I and World War II, had on average less conflict between great powers than we saw in the 1700s, the 1600s, and the 1500s. So if our gauge shouldn't always be set to fear. Let's start looking at the economic and policy issues outside of our country that might impact us. Because again, remember, countries outside of the world make up two-thirds of the world economy and one-third of the U.S. stock market. This week, we're going to spend some time talking about Great Britain because that's, I think we've all heard what's going on with the, with the English currency right now. The value of their currency is cratering. Everyone knows that. But why? And what impact is it going to have here at home? Because right now, over the last year, the pound sterling has dropped 20% relative to the U.S. dollar. And it almost reached parity last week, which would be the first time that's happened in, I don't know, maybe ever. So it's important to put the last few years in context in Great Britain because they have been through a real meat grinder. Some of it self-imposed. It started with Brexit. And, you know, it may be that Brexit ends up being an ill-advised policy decision, but it probably would not have been a disastrous policy decision if not just a few years later, we didn't have a worldwide pandemic. And so those things really started to compound on each other. And the result is that inflation has actually been higher and more resilient in England than it has been in either the United States. States or the Eurozone. As much as we worry about our inflation here in the United States, it's important to note that while our inflation numbers have been dropping since July in terms of year-over-year CPI, that has not been happening in Great Britain and the Eurozone. Right now, current CPI in the United States, 8.26% year-over-year. Eurozone, 9.14%. Great Britain, almost 10, 9.9%. So they're doing some of the very similar things that we're doing. Their Bank of England, which is their version of the Fed, actually got a jump on us in raising rates. They started in January. I could make a real strong argument that Chairman Powell should have gotten off his duff beginning of the year too instead of waiting until March. However, what's been different has been the velocity of their rate hikes. So while they started in January and we started in March, we actually have rates now 100 basis points higher than they have. We have raised rates much more aggressively. They've raised their rates to 2.25%. We are currently at 
0.25%. Now, that alone could explain some strengthening of the dollar relative to the pound sterling. And you could also argue that much like the U.S., a long view on inflation and interest rate policy will eventually work them out of the situation. It may include a recession, much like it may include a recession here, but they're going to get there. Then came the politics. Now, I think everyone here knows that there's been a lot of drama in politics in Great Britain. Boris Johnson was booted as the prime minister right before the queen passed away. She welcomed the new government of Prime Minister Liz Truss. And Truss is now in charge, and she's been in charge for less than 30 days, I think. But she's getting after it quickly. They announced last week what would be a generationally large tax cut. It was an interesting tax cut because it cuts taxes across the board for the lowest income earners, the highest, but actually is most aggressive at cutting rates for those people earning the most. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm about to say because I love tax cuts. Big fan of them. But cutting taxes in a very significant way during historically high inflation, I just don't get it. The goal of most tax cuts, well, I mean, there's two goals. One is to take care of your political friends, but the other is to spur spending and investment in the economy. Spending in the economy in Great Britain and here and elsewhere in the world is exactly the problem right now. While no one wants to crater economies, no one wants to drive us into a recession, slowing our economies down gradually is a good thing. Supercharging them right now, not so much. And so that decision led to alarm around the world. The IMF came out aggressively against what Great Britain was doing. The Eurozone did. The United States seemed pretty confused by the process as well. The result was the plummet in pound sterling because everybody basically just conceded the fact that this was going to drive Great Britain into higher and higher inflation and eventually a bad recession. And so then we started to get even more tail chasing, if you will. Because in response to the flagging currency, then the Bank of England had to come in and announce that they were going to start buying bonds, which would shore up the currency. Now remember, we did this, everybody did this during the pandemic. It's called quantitative easing. But we stopped it and started selling our bonds back into the market earlier this year, as did the Bank of England. But now they have announced in an immediate change of course that they are going to start buying their bonds back again. While that did work in the short term to help stabilize the currency, it's yet another inflationary policy. So we have now stacked a tax cut and quantitative easing on the table for England right now. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? You know, all of this drama has pushed fear back into the international markets today. It's pushed fear of a very large recession in an economy that, while much smaller than the United States, is still a very large economy in the world. I believe Great Britain right now is the eighth largest economy in the world. So there is no question that the U.S. stock market and those around the world have suffered from these bad political and policy decisions. Whether we like it or not, though, We live in an interconnected world, and it is a very good reminder for us that we just can't focus on what's happening at home. We also have to be watching the policy decisions, the conflicts, and everything else that's happening elsewhere in the world. Let's hope that Britain gets their act together. In the meantime, let's also hope that we start to see some good inflation data here in the United States. We're about a week and a half away from finding out on that next print. We'll leave it there for this week. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to give us a call at 515-273-1333. 
or you can always visit us on the website at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you again next week. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.